Welcome back to a special edition of the Pacific Century, a Hoover Institution podcast on China, Asia, America, and the fate of the world. I'm Misha Oslin, a Hoover Institution fellow, and normally I would be joined by my partner in crime, John Yu. But if you have been listening to the Pacific Century, you know that just two days ago, John and I interviewed the Defense Minister of Japan, Taro Kono, and had a fascinating discussion on the way in which Japan's military has modernized and the larger role that Japan is playing in the world. So you may be wondering, why are you back, Misha, and why are you alone? Well, I'm back because breaking news out of Tokyo today is that Shinzo Abe, Japan's longest-serving prime minister, has suddenly resigned. In fact, we talked about Shinzo Abe, and we talked about his policies with Japan's defense minister, Kono Taro, uh, and we uh, at that time had no idea that he would be stepping down just 48 hours later or so. Uh, John, I think, is out somewhere enjoying some fine French pastries because he could not jump on this, but we thought it was important enough, significant enough to both Asia and the United States, uh, that I'd come on and just give a little bit of uh, context and background as to what's going on for those of you who are wondering why should we care. And there's a lot of reasons to care about Shinzo Abe leaving the premiership of Japan. As I mentioned, uh, most significantly, he is Japan's longest serving premier. In fact, he has two different records. Uh, one is the longest serving in total amount of time, uh, which he achieved uh, earlier this year. And then just this week, uh, he became the longest serving in a continuous capacity because he, of course, had a prior term in 2006-2007, but has been Prime Minister of Japan since uh, 2012. And this week reached the record of longest serving premier. It's been uh, eight years since he came back to power, and it's actually hard for many to remember uh, just how low Japan's fortunes were when he took over the second time. Ironically, it was his resignation in 2007 that actually put Japan into an extremely unstable period of political rule with a series of one-year prime ministers, uh, a back and forth between Japan and the United States on alliance issues, and what appeared to be a Japanese retreat from the world stage because of its political instability, and a completely ineffective a series of economic reform proposals. Um, we've actually forgotten all about that. And because Shinzo Abe has been a phoenix in Japanese politics, rising from the ashes of his first failed premiership, we've actually forgotten how frustrating and difficult it was uh, for Japanese primarily, but also for Japan's friends to deal with the country. We have lived through and are now witnessing the end of the most stable era in Japanese politics, in over half century, uh, really going back to a period, possibly you could say during the 1980s and the uh, premiership of Yasu, uh, Yasuhiro Nakasone, who had a great relationship with Ronald Reagan. You might have to go all the way back to the 1950s and uh, the famous uh, post-war prime minister, Yoshida Shigeru, or as we would say in, in English, Shigeru Yoshida, Yoshida being his family name. But Abe really transformed the premiership in many ways. Um, first of all, he was by far the most popular 
political figure in Japan, uh, in a country that's not known for elevating its political figures too highly. Um, many of them are just seen as anodyne party men uh, from the Liberal Democratic Party or, or maybe from the Democratic Party of Japan. Uh, but Abe really became a, a voice and a face uh, all his own. Um, he did this uh, not because he had, uh, uh, you know, a personality that was inherently different from all Japanese, but because he had a very clear policy program that he adopted, that he wanted to adopt and put into place his first time in office, but that he rapidly returned to when he uh, became premier again in 2012. Um, on the economic side of things, uh, it's easy again for us to forget that Japan remains the world's third largest economy. It is still a vitally important part of the global economic system. It's an, a vitally important U.S. trade partner. It's an important trade partner for China and for the rest of the world. Um, that said, of course, once the the economic bubble, what was the the asset and stock price bubble and real estate bubble popped at the very end of the 1980s, we all sort of forgot about Japan. We immediately turned our attention to China. But the globalized system that we have today, the economic and trading system, still would not be possible without without Japan, without the high-tech role that it plays, without the crucial role that it plays in supply chains. Now, that said, Japan has dropped in international competitive rank, competitiveness rankings. Uh, it no longer occupies the heights of industrial power the way that it did in the 1970s and 1980s. And Abe came back to power, Shinzo Abe came back to power with a specific set of economic reform policies, what became tagged as Abenomics. Um, this was not his term, but it was it was the term given to the set of policies that he had. The famous three arrows of monetary uh, reform, of fiscal stimulus, and then of of structural reform and and growth policies. Of the monetary easing part uh, was to try and get Japan out of a deflationary spiral. Uh, it was to use the Bank of Japan in in ways that prior prime ministers had not done uh, to help uh, set growth targets, uh, to increase liquidity in the economy. Uh, that was the first arrow that was combined with a second arrow of fiscal stimulus that Japan had turned to before, uh, and then capped off with a growth policy based on uh, regulatory change, regulatory reform, structural reform. Um, not all of Abenomics was successful, but what was important was that for the first time, there was a Japanese leader with a very clear, coherent, sellable economic policy for Japan. Um, and and it did work for in, in different ways. Uh, it certainly worked uh, once the um, the monetary uh, easing and then the fiscal stimulus, initially the first two arrows were fired, gave a boost to the economy. Um, there were headwinds that Japan fought all along. First of all, when Abe took office, he was still fighting the downturn from the devastating 2011 tsunami and earthquake uh, that killed 20,000 people uh, and had a, a very significant effect both on Japan's productive capacity, on its electricity generation because of the shutdown of nuclear power plants and the like. Uh, the headwinds from from that were something he had to fight going forward. Uh, there were the headwinds, of course, uh, of uh, of COVID this year, uh, most significantly that has really seen a shrinkage in, in Japan's economy. And then uh, there were also two consumption tax increases that he pursued that had actually been proposed by a prior government, the Democratic Party of Japan government, that he agreed to continue. And those 
really took the wind out of the sails uh, of economic growth uh, and and were, were clearly seen as as mistakes. And yet even with that, uh, Abe persevered in uh, structural reform going probably about as far as any Japanese premier could. Uh, most significantly, he will be known as probably the most pro-free trade Japanese prime minister in history. He joined the Trans-Pacific Partnership negotiations. And in fact, once the United States uh, backed out of the treaty under Donald Trump, uh, he basically took them over and shepherded what is now known as the Comprehensive and Progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership with a smaller number of, of, uh, of participating nations, uh, but a free trade agreement that um, it accounts for uh, about 13, 14% of the global economy, global output. Uh, he pursued free trade agreements with the EU, uh, with, the, uh, with Great Britain as it comes out of the EU after Brexit, uh, and with the Trump administration, in fact, reached in 2019 another free trade, the basis, uh, an initial free trade agreement, utterly changing the way that Japan approached approached trade. Um, it didn't resolve all of the issues. It didn't resolve all of the, the tariff questions or non-tariff barrier questions, but it went much farther than any other Japanese premier had done. In the same way, he had signature policies for structural reform, deregulating the electricity, uh, market, for example, making changes to corporate governance so that there had to be uh, foreign uh, foreign uh, board uh, members on Japanese uh, corporations, more transparency, uh, attempting to get rid of poison pills, although that's been very hard. He faced lots of problems with corporate governance scandals in Japan, whether it was Toshiba or Nissan. Uh, the ways that people thought about the old Japan Inc. doing business. He was not always successful in tackling, but as many observers pointed out, and long, long-time observers of the Japanese economy, he really went about as far as any Japanese premier could, including tackling questions of agricultural reform. So taking on the agricultural lobby, making it easier for, uh, for farmers to sell small family plots and the like, so that over time, uh, the the Japanese economy was uh, was given different types of stimulus and is still going through that in order to become more rational and to work more effectively. Um, another area that he'll be known for is what was tagged as womenomics, uh, which was his proposal to bring more women into the workforce. Japan has um, probably the most educated um, female population of any country in in the world. Extraordinarily high number of women in Japan go on to finish high school and go on to higher education, but they don't always stay in the workforce for lots of reasons, reasons that are related to cultural issues, family issues, um, discrimination in the workforce. And Abe made it a priority to increase the number of women in Japan's workforce, Wibonomics, which is, which is still a, a work in progress. And he also took on another third rail of, of uh, Japan's labor force, which was bringing in foreign workers. Now, um, in a country that has been experiencing experiencing demographic decline for uh, close to a decade now, in which is uh, shrinking and not growing and faces a somewhat grim uh, demographic future, um, the question of, of course, automation has been central, but so has been the question of bringing in foreign workers. Um, there are a lot of there's a lot of resistance. There's there's cultural resistance to this. There's the resistance of those who worry, uh, who look at what Europe has done uh, and the United States have done with with foreign workers and worry that it would have spillover effects into society that Japan does not want. And yet Abe has begun to break that barrier with a uh, plan that was just passed in the past year 
uh, of bringing in several hundred thousand skilled workers and trying to make Japan, in his words, a place where skilled workers from around the world uh, would want to come to. Now, not all of these economic reforms uh, were were fully achieved. Uh, there's been resistance. Uh, there's been backsliding. Uh, but there's no question that in in uh, comparison with his predecessors, Abe really tried to take on many of the vested interests, but I think most importantly was the first leader in Japan to come up with a, again, a sellable, coherent economic program that in the absence of any credible alternative, he could go back to and people could understand at least what the goals of the government were. And I think it's going to be very hard for any future prime minister not to have as coherent a policy. And if they do, if they do, meaning they don't have that policy, it's going to be very hard to maintain the type of electoral success that Abe had winning four different terms as prime minister in one one contiguous chunk um, because the, the electorate at least knew what he wanted to do. All of that said, it may well be that Abe becomes best known for what he did in the foreign and security sphere as opposed to economics. Um, when he took office, uh, the Cold War, of course, had been over for uh, close to half a generation, and yet Japan had not changed many of its post-1945 policies. It did not change the ways in which it acted both with its closest ally, the United States, other partners, and, and adversaries. It was hemmed in and restricted by a whole set of post-1945 uh, revisions to uh, its constitution or, or, or interpretations of the new constitution that the United States drafted during the occupation that really limited what Japan could do, that restricted its ability to play a role on the world stage commensurate with its position as the world's second or third largest economy. Abe was was often uh, labeled as a nationalist. Uh, I, I think he was more uh, simply a patriotic Japan, a Japanese, a patriotic leader who felt that the world's uh, one of the world's largest and most stable democracies, and again, its second largest, third largest economy, should play a larger role on the world stage that no other nation had restricted, though itself, from working with partners, from contributing to regional security from playing a larger diplomatic role. And that really was clearly at, at his heart. He was criticized for wanting to change the Constitution, for revising it, wanting to revise it to get rid of Article 9, uh, the famous peace article that said that Japan will never wage war and will never have armed forces. Um, he was criticized for reinterpreting uh, some ways in which the citizen uh, was related to the state in in legal documents, making making it less a focus on the individual and more a focus on the citizen. He, he certainly was um, criticized for wanting to make the national anthem sung in schools uh, and for uh, ostensibly supporting textbooks that whitewashed Japan's uh, role in World War II. And probably most uh, controversially, he was criticized for seeming to question uh, interpretations of Japan's war guilt. And yet, at the same time, he made the clearest apologies for Japan's actions in World War II, did that repeatedly. He did it in front of the United States Congress. He did it in front of the Australian uh, Parliament. He did it uh, through government surrogates and representatives. He visited Pearl Harbor, the first Japanese prime minister to make an official visit to Pearl Harbor with President Obama and uh, apologized for the war there. Uh, and he 
welcomed Barack Obama to Hiroshima, uh, which was long overdue that the two would would uh, historically grapple with the question of the atomic bombing and recognize that as two very tightly connected allies, that they could uh, agree that the past no longer bound uh, the relationship that they had together. Uh, so he, he again, uh, broke um, uh, sort of glass barriers, if you want to put it that way, uh, that had held Japan back from uh, a greater integration with the world. But most significantly, he did it through legislation. Uh, he didn't revise the Constitution. The Article 9 is still there. But Abe either uh, repealed or had reinterpreted many of those restrictions that had kept Japan from playing a larger role on the world stage. Uh, he allowed it now to uh, participate in collective self-defense with partners like the United States, protecting U.S. ships, for example. Uh, he allowed Japan got legislation passed that allowed Japan to uh, to work with other partners on defense industrial production and to export arms, something it hadn't been able to do, uh, which it was now under his term doing to create new defense security relationships with nations in Southeast Asia, uh, with India, with Australia. Not all of those uh, turned into the large sort of big ticket selling items that he wanted, but he was creating a new set of working relationships. Um, he made Japan a central figure in East Asian and, in fact, global diplomacy, uh, getting more democratic nations uh, uh, introduced into the East Asian summit, uh, which is a, a uh, an initiative of the Association of Southeast Asian Nations, uh, promoting, again, as I had mentioned before, free trade, but doing it with a strategic cast of mind that this was a way to link open economies and link democracies together. Um, very interestingly, he did all of these, um, he did the economic work as well, but he did the security, the security reforms in the light of, of course, of a rising China. And it's one of the histories, uh, I'm sorry, it's one of the ironies of history that Abe came to power right as Xi Jinping was taking over power in China. And so the two have spent eight years jockeying back and forth, jockeying over trade networks, jockeying over development uh, and aid uh, packages jockeying over uh, the Senkaku Islands in the south, uh, in the uh, East China Sea, that both countries claim, but which Japan administer, um, jockeying over defense relationships and the like. And in many ways, what Abe was doing was offering a a an alternative vision for Asia of what development and partnership looks like. He he never tried to pretend that Japan could equal China in economic strength. Those those days were over. Uh, he never pretended that Japan could have a military as large as China's. But in increasing Japan's military budget every year, in buying F-35s, in buying, uh, setting the plans for new aircraft carriers and the like, he was making a claim and staking out a position that Japan would help maintain regional security, that it could reach out to partners, whether India or Australia or in Southeast Asia, uh, as not a country that needed to be feared, a country that might bully them or intimidate them or take away their territory, but one that was a partner in upholding an open regime of norms and rules. In many ways, he was positioning Japan as the un-China. 
And he was very successful at doing this. Incredibly close relationships with Narendra Modi of, of India, close relationships with his Australian counterparts, and perhaps most famously, an extremely close relationship with Donald Trump. Unlike other world leaders, Abe rushed to embrace Donald Trump after the election, became the first uh, the first world leader to visit Trump at Trump Tower the week after the election, uh, the first uh, world leader to visit Mar-a-Lago, welcomed Trump to Japan, uh, very close uh, relations between uh, not only uh, Trump and, and the prime minister, but between Trump and the imperial family, um, really positioned Japan as America's most faithful and eager and willing ally in Asia, the Indo-Pacific, and on the broader world stage, whether in the G7 or the G20 or the UN and the like. Again, as, as he prepares to step down from office, it's hard to remember just how, if not isolated, how limited Japan was in so many of its foreign, its security, and its economic policies before Abe came to power. Uh, he didn't bat a thousand, no one does, but he changed the game in Japanese politics. He changed the way the game was was pitched, if you if you will accept the baseball metaphor. Um, it will be very hard, I think, for any Japanese leader to go back to the old days of isolation, to not be a clear and consistent voice for rules and norms, uh, to walk away from from free trade agreements, for example. It's a different Japan based on Shinzo Abe's policies. And the great question that faces Japan and it faces Asia and in fact the rest of the world is what happens now. As difficult as it may be for a leader to walk away from Abe's accomplishments, it's also entirely possible. And we don't yet know who will take over, um, whether it will be the former defense minister, uh, Shigeru Ishiba, whether it will be the, form, uh, the former uh, foreign minister, Fumiaki uh, Kishida, uh, whether it will be um, the current defense minister, uh, whom we just spoke to on Pacific Century, uh, Taro Kono. Uh, it could be the chief cabinet secretary, Suga, Yoshide Suga. All of these uh, men are positioning themselves to take up Abe's mantle. And of course, because their party, the Liberal Democratic Party, is uh, has a dominant uh, political majority in, in the diet, the national legislature, one of them will be chosen. But their success will depend on the degree to which they maintain a similarly vision-filled policy of maintaining Japan's role in the world, that they will have an idea of what Japan should do, an idea of how it will go about it, uh, and that even if it's not the Japan of the 1980s or the early 1990s, that it's still has a unique position on the world stage. It still has a unique society, one that is not rent by internal division, uh, one that is respectful of its traditions, one that understands the importance of maintaining social cohesion and stability, one that in some ways has chosen a route very different from the West, but one that it feels is best fitted to its own future. The next leader of Japan will have to embrace all of that not in an inward sense, not in an isolationist or an autarkic sense, but in a way that maintains Japan's role as one of the pillars of the post-Cold War liberal system. And if they can do that, and if they've learned from Shinzo Abe, then they will uh, ensure that his legacy 
of changing the world's perception of Japan and Japan's perception of the world will continue. And Washington and New Delhi and Canberra and even Seoul and other countries and certainly uh, other capitals in London will find that they still have a willing, capable, wealthy, liberal partner at a time when the competition between liberalism and authoritarianism is heating up and when the choice between a more open and free and equitable world or a more closed, self-interested world has never been more clear. So for the Pacific Century's special edition on the end of the Shinzo Abe era in Japan, I hope that's been a bit of a background. I hope that explains what's going on uh, and that it helps uh, interpret what you'll be reading in the headlines going forward. This is Misha Oslin on behalf of my partner, John Yu. Looking forward to seeing you again soon on the Pacific Century. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.